0: Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, it's so good to be with you. Denise and I love every single time we get to be here. And because of the pandemic, we did not leave Russia for two years. It's the longest time we've ever been in one place. And I said to Denise, we have to decide what we're going to do with these two years. We can sit here and twiddle our thumbs, or we can work. I wrote six books, I did 650 TV programs. It was such a profitable time for us. And it is remarkable that our church, our online church, during the pandemic grew from 30,000 members to 200,000 members. I think that is amazing. Not because we're so smart, but we were just there, and people tuned in from all over the world, and they have stayed with us. So now our online church has just become enormous. Of course, I'm talking about in the Russian language. But anyway, we're glad to be with you today, and it's been a good two years since we've seen you, and I'm so thankful to this church for your partnership with our ministry for more than 30 years. You have marvelous pastors in this church. Pastors Dwayne and Jeannie are just remarkable. They're the real deal. And Pastor Dwayne did not need me to be here today because he does a fine job right here in the pulpit every week. But it's a privilege that we can speak to you today. And I want to see, do you have your Bibles? Let me see your Bibles. Your Bibles are your devices. Always bring your Bibles when you come to church. And today I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And what I'm going to speak this morning is part one. Tonight, I'm going to be speaking part two. If you can't come tonight, today is a standalone message. If you can come, you'll be glad that you got part two. But Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that we can be in Grand Rapids today and in this wonderful church. Father, we thank you for Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie. We thank you for every member of this church. We thank you for its impact for the gospel around the world. Holy Spirit, today we look to you as the great teacher. You are the one who authored this book. And today we look to you as the only one that's really authorized to teach it. And I ask you to speak through me. And I ask you to open all of our ears that we might hear the word of God. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And today we're going to begin in verse 1. And in verse 1, Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to, if you have an ink pen or a pencil, either underline or circle those two words, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers, night and day, verse 4, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears. But when you go back to verse 1, I ask you to either underline or circle these two words, according to. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to. According to what? According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And how Paul begins this epistle is very, very important. Those two words, according to, are translated from a Greek preposition, the Greek word kata, which always describes a subjugating or a dominating force. So you could translate it being dominated, subjugated, conquered by the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, and he begins this epistle with a declaration that we as believers are dominated by life. Then in verse 2, he addresses Timothy very differently. He says, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. And this is very unusual because in most of Paul's epistles, he just says grace and peace be unto you. But in this epistle, he inserts the word mercy between grace and peace, and Paul only does this twice in his epistles here, and also in the book of Titus. And in both of those books, he's writing to someone who's feeling very, very overwhelmed by what they're feeling in life. In the case of Titus, he had abandoned Titus on the Isle of Crete and left him there to set in order everything that he had not finished in the new church on Crete and the Cretans were barbarians. And now he has left Titus there to give order to the barbarians. So when he writes to Titus, he doesn't just say grace and peace be unto you, but he inserts mercy between the grace and the peace because Titus really needed mercy for his assignment. And now he's writing to Timothy. And he likewise inserts this word mercy, which tells us Timothy is facing something so serious that he needs a little extra mercy tucked between the grace and the peace. And we know that Timothy is facing something very, very difficult because in verse 4, Paul says, I'm mindful of your tears. And scholars say that when Paul had received a letter from Timothy, he could see the stains of Timothy's tears on the letter. And in fact, the word tears is plural. It really describes one that is sobbing. Timothy was sobbing when he wrote a letter to Paul. So the question arises why was he sobbing? What happened? Well, in the year 64, the first official governmental persecution began against the church. The church was around for over 30 years before it had any form of governmental persecution it had religious persecution, which you read about in the book of Acts. The governmental persecution did not begin until the year 64, and it was quite a shock because it was the Roman Empire where everyone was guaranteed freedom of religion. So when Christians began to be persecuted, it truly stunned them because no one thought this would be possible in the Roman Empire that the reason they began to be persecuted is not because they were Christians. Nero was on the throne, and Nero wanted to tear down the city of Rome and actually rename it. He wanted to call it Neropolis. In the very center of Rome, he wanted to build himself a big new palace, which he called the Golden Palace. And the palace that he designed was so large, it covered the space of three hundred acres. So it doesn't matter how big your house is. It's very small compared to the house that Nero wanted to build. And not only that, he wanted to veneer the entire exterior of it with mother of pearl and then lay gold sheets on top of the mother of pearl. And that is why it was called the golden palace. Well, the Roman Senate would not permit him to do it. So he ordered his servants. To start a fire in the circus, which was the area where the chariot races took place on the side of Rome, no one was there, so the fire began to rage out of control. And the embers began to blow across the city of Rome, and there were more than one million slaves in the city of Rome who lived in little houses made of wood, hay, and stubble. All of those little houses caught on fire, and suddenly the entire city of Rome was in flames and burned for more than 13 days. And at the end of the 13 days, the section where Nero wanted to build his home had been completely destroyed, and when the fire was extinguished, he immediately began construction on his palace. And the Roman Senate said, we know that Nero was behind this. So they summoned him to the Senate house, which you can still visit today in the Forum in Rome. And when he stood in front of the Senate and they charged him with crime, he said, how could you ever think that I, Nero, would burn down my beloved city? I have information about who did this. And the Senate said, who? And Nero said, this new group in town, this religious sect called Christians... And the Senate said, give us information. Tell us how you know this. And Nero says, my spies have brought me secret information. We should have been listening to these Christians all along because you've heard them standing on our streets publicly preaching that one day in the future a big judgment was coming that would be marked by fire. And they were giving us a signal that they were going to burn down the city of Rome. He was so convincing that by the time he was finished, the Roman Senate believed him. And in that moment, a decree was issued against Christians throughout the entire Roman Empire, but particularly in the Roman Empire's four largest cities. The first was Rome. The second was Alexandria. The third was Antioch. And the fourth largest city was Ephesus. And Timothy was in Ephesus where he was leading the church. And now, as unthinkable as it is, they are suffering for their faith. How was this possible in the Roman Empire where everyone was guaranteed freedom of religion? No one believed that it could happen in the Roman Empire. But indeed, they were suffering for their faith, and many believers were being burned at the stake because in the Roman Empire you were executed according to your crime. If you were a thief, they cut your hand off. If you were an arsonist, then they burned you at the stake. And that's why believers were being burned at the stake because they were not suffering as Christians, they were suffering as arsonists, arsonists. And the Roman government has rounded up all the leading Christians and has incarcerated them in the city of Rome. And Paul has been arrested. And Paul himself is sitting very deep in a prison in Rome, not charged with being a Christian, but charged with being one of the arsons who planned the fire that burned down the city of Rome. And the fake news is on the streets. Fake news is nothing new. People are believing everything they're hearing, everything they're seeing. And though they didn't have TVs and internet and radio, they had walls where the news was posted. And people would gather around those news just like people gather around their television to see what is new. And there they could see that one of the chief arsonists has been captured. He's been incarcerated. His name is Paul. And Paul is sitting in prison in Rome. And he receives a letter from Timothy who is in Ephesus. Timothy has not been arrested. He has not been charged. But in Ephesus, Timothy truly is experiencing a tragedy as many members of his church are being killed for their faith and others that he always thought would be faithful are now walking out. And my friends, fire always reveals who people really are. And when there is no fire, it's easy to be a fair-weather Christian. But when fire comes, it always reveals who is really committed. And Timothy was shocked to discover many people that he thought would be faithful to the end walked out and left him. And he's in such a state of devastation that he's written a letter to Paul. Not only is Timothy hurt by what has happened, but he himself is dealing with the spirit of fear. We know that because in verse 7, Paul says that he has a spirit of fear. The reason Timothy's dealing with the spirit of fear is because he's the most visible believer in Ephesus, and he knows if the police knock on his door and arrest him, they will make his death horrific in order to scare everyone else out of their faith. So with the spirit of fear, feeling very wounded, by people he thought would be faithful who abandoned him. He now sits down and writes a letter to Paul, and he is sobbing. Now Paul, sitting in a Roman prison, receives the letter. Because he's a Roman citizen, he has the right to receive mail. He unrolls the scroll. He can see the imprints of Timothy's tears on the letter. And he says, Timothy, I'm mindful of your tears. And he says something else very important in verse 3. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, he says, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Notice Paul says, without ceasing, the Greek word paumai, it's where you get the word for a pause. Without an interruption, without an interval, without pause, I have mention of you in my prayers night and day. And the word mention is the Greek word meneia The word meneia is the Greek word for a statue or a monument. A literal translation would be, I'm building statues and monuments of you in my prayers. This word is translated correctly in Acts chapter 10, verse 4, when the angel shows up to the household of Cornelius, maybe you remember, and the angel said to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. And here we find that when we pray our prayer in faith, or when we give in faith, or when we do anything in faith, It rises very into the very presence of God, where it stands like a statue, a monument, or a memorial. Everlasting to remind God that something was done in faith, a gift was given in faith, a prayer was prayed in faith. And now Paul uses this word to say, Timothy, 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 I'm aware of what you're going through. So let me tell you, without an interval, I am stacking the throne room of heaven filled with images of you so that everywhere God looks, he sees you there. He sees you there. He sees you there. He sees you there. God is confronted with you. Because I'm confronting him with your image in my prayers. I remember when my grandmother Renner was 92 years old. I was visiting with her and she said, ah, Ricky. She said, I'm of no good to anybody. All I do is just sit in this chair and pray for you. I said, Grandma, it's probably the most powerful thing you've ever done in your life. Keep it up. I said, stack the throne room of heaven filled with my images. Now Paul is in prison. When you're in prison and you have nothing else to do, you have to choose what you're going to think about. And he has chosen, I'm in a lockdown, so I'm going to make the best of my situation. And without a pause, without an interval, he's calling the name of Timothy. So God is confronted by Timothy. And he knows that Timothy is dealing with a spirit of fear because he has seen the tears on his letter and he has heard the questions that Timothy has written to him. And Timothy must have said something like, Paul, I'm so wounded. Paul, I'm so afraid of how I might die. And Timothy, who is free, who has not been charged with a crime, is writing to Paul, who is in jail, who has been charged with a crime. And Timothy must have been saying, Paul, you can't begin to imagine how I feel. You've never been through anything like this. I'm so hurt. And that's why Paul goes on in chapter 1 and says, Timothy, 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 it's not so bad. Hey, everyone in Asia forsook me. Asia? Asia? Asia's where Paul did ninety percent of his ministry. He says, "Timothy, you think you know something about rejection? A continent has forsaken me. But when you're the one suffering, you always seem to think no one can possibly understand. No one's ever felt what I feel. And now Timothy, in his brokenness and fear, writes to Paul, and now Paul writes back. Timothy is seeking help. He's seeking encouragement." And in verse 5, Paul says, look at verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. It's the equivalent to saying, hey, Timothy, you know what? I got your letter. I've been thinking about your grandma. And I've been thinking about your mama." Timothy must have thought, why are you talking to me about my grandmother? And why are you talking to me about my mother? Talk to me about me. But Paul's reminding Timothy of something very important. Look at verse 5. When I call to remembrance the what? The King James Version says, unfeigned faith. The Greek word hypocrites, it's where you get the word for a hypocrite or hypocrisy. Let me tell you where that word came from. Jesus used it all the time. When he addressed the scribes and the Pharisees, he called them hypocrites, the Greek word hypocrites. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, very near to Nazareth with the city of Sepphoris. It was the banking city of the Middle East from Nazareth. If you looked at the city of Sephoris, it looked like a city on a hill. That was the very image Jesus had in his mind in Matthew 5, verse 14, when he talked about us being a city on a hill. And in the city of Sephoris, there was a theater so large it accommodated 5,000 spectators. And every time Jesus walked the three miles to Sephorus to see his father working or to visit his grandparents... Mary's parents who lived there, he would have walked right past the theater, which was the most sophisticated theater in the entire land of Israel. And on the stage were actors, but the actors were not called actors. They were called hypocrites, where we get the word for hypocrites. That's what actors were called. And that word hypocrisy or hypocrites, the Greek word hypocritos, describes one who wears a mask to please the crowd. And if the crowd doesn't like the current mask you're wearing, then he just changes his mask. It is one who changes his face, changes his mask, plays the new role. He'll do anything or say anything to get the applause of the crowd So when Jesus called the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, it was the equivalent of saying, I know who you guys are. I've seen people just like you on the stage. You're nothing but a bunch of religious actors. You don't mean a word you're saying. You're just donning the right face to get the right applause from the crowd at every moment. You're a bunch of bogus pretenders. That's what the word hypocrisy means. But when you come to this verse... In Greek, it has an A in front of it, which means you're not bogus, but in fact, you are authentic. You're not pretend, you are the real deal. So now Paul says to Timothy, when I call to remembrance, the unfeigned faith, not bogus, real, not pretend, legitimate. The faith that you have is a real living faith. He said it began in your grandmother. In fact, he said it first dwelt in your grandmother. The word dwelt describes one who takes up residency in a house and they live a vibrant life there. Paul says your grandmother had a living faith. It was vibrant and she passed it to your mother. Your mother has passed it to you. And here we see how faith can be passed from one generation to another generation to another generation and to another generation. That is the way that it should be. And if you're the first to believe in your family, you have the God-given privilege of passing your faith to the next generation. Faith should be passed from one to the next And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, this is not new to you. You have a real, living, vibrant faith. It is authentic. It is not bogus. It first lived in your grandmother, and Paul knew his grandmother. Then it lived in your mother. He knew Timothy's mother. He said, in the same faith that lived in your grandmother and lived in your mother, I'm convinced this same vibrant, real faith is alive in you. Now, why did he say this to Timothy? Because Timothy was looking at his future. And just looking at his future, the prognosis was pretty grim. People were dying. He could die. If he's not executed, he's serving a church that is dying Now he needs to choose new leaders. He doesn't know who to choose. He doesn't know who to trust because those whom he formerly trusted have abandoned him and have walked out. He's very, very hurt. He's paralyzed by what he is going through. And when Timothy looks at his future, his future doesn't look very good. And a spirit of fear has begun to operate in him. And Paul basically says, Timothy, 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 the reason you have a spirit of fear about your future is because. Of a bad memory, you're forgetting your past. Turn around and look at your past. And if you look at your past, and if you look at God's work in your past, in your family, you will see faith has always been in your family. God has always been faithful to your family. He was faithful to your grandmother, He was faithful to your mother, and He's going to be faithful to you. Timothy, put the present on pause. Turn around and remember your past we're told over and over in the book of Psalms that we are to remember the works of the Lord. It says the works of the Lord are to be remembered, but when you're facing a grim future, often you don't feel like remembering your past. And that is why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 says you have to call to remembrance those memories. They're not going to come to you by themselves. You've got to call them. To remembrance. I was telling the earlier service that in the last two years, I went through an ordeal in Russia that I can't even publicly describe. But today, to say that it was serious is a great understatement. It's the most serious thing I've ever faced in my life. In fact, when I met with my attorneys in one four-hour meeting that I will never forget, my attorney looked across the table, held up his finger, and said, No, zero percent that your situation will be fixed. It could not have been more serious. It felt like the oxygen was just sucked out of the room. Denise was there. My team was there. People were so paralyzed by what they heard, no one could say a word. We got in the car to drive back to our home, which was a three-hour drive. No one said a word. Denise was in the back seat crying. My driver, my assistant, was in the front seat, said that he couldn't say anything. I was in the front seat wishing somebody would say something, but no one could even say anything. Because what we had just heard was so grim about me. So what did I do? I decided to put into practice exactly what I'm preaching to you today. And rather than think about what I just heard, I decided to mentally recall all the times in my past I faced impossible situations that people told me I would never get through. But we got through. When Latvia was going to kick us out of the country, in fact, they put us on one-day visas. We to renew our visas every day. I walked through every one of those experiences when the prime minister of Latvia took a stand against me. Have any of you ever had a prime minister stand against you? That's a pretty big mountain. I walked through that memory all the times when we did not have the money to do what God had asked us to do, but God miraculously provided immediately just in the nick of time. I walked through every one of those memories up until my current moment. And by the time I had walked through all those memories, what I was facing that day in the car, it didn't seem so big after all. It wasn't bigger than anything I've ever paced in my life. And God was faithful then and then and then and then and then. And And God is going to be faithful now. And my friends, when you call to remembrance what God has done, what you're facing suddenly becomes minimized. It brings it into perspective. And I remember sitting in the car, the Lord speaking to me. Oh, thank God when he speaks to us. And he said, trust me, I'll fix it. It's all I needed. And friends, he fixed it. The mountain moved. It moved. But look at verse six. Paul says, wherefore? I put thee in remembrance... That thou might stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. That's the King James Version, verse 6. But when you read it in the Greek, the Greek says it differently in a very important way. The Greek says, wherefore? What does wherefore mean? In light of what I just said to you. In light of the fact that your grandmother had a real faith that never failed her. Your mother had a real faith that never failed her. In light of the fact that God's faithfulness is a part of your history. Wherefore, I am reminding you of all of these things. And the Greek says, I'm reminding you of all of these things that by your remembering them, you might stir up the gift of God that is in you. Did you hear that? by your remembering them, you might stir up the gift of God that is in you. And here we find that God has entrusted into every one of our hands a divine poker. And just like you use a poker to stir the embers in a fire when it's about to go out, God has placed in our hands the power of memory, and by remembering what God has done in our lives and walking through every event, we can so stir up the fire of God in us that we begin to blaze with faith again. This is good news because sometimes... There's no one to take your phone call, or you can't get to the church for somebody to lay hands on you, or what if you're in the Apostle Paul and you're in prison by yourself, and there's no one to talk to, no one to agree with you. What do you do? You have to talk to yourself. By the way, that's what I'm going to be dealing with tonight. And Paul says, Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. He was speaking from his own experience. I'm reminding you of God's faithfulness that by your remembering and remembering and remembering and remembering, you will stir up the gift of God that is in you. And then he says in verse seven, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This was not God's will for Timothy to be living in this state of fear. And notice that, first of all, Paul says that fear is a spirit, and fear is a spirit. You can feel fear when it enters a room. It is a spiritual force. And notice he calls it a spirit of fear. The word fear, the Greek word delaya, the word delay can be translated a spirit that turns you into a coward. It describes one who cowers in fear, one who moves backward in retreat. They move into a state of self-preservation. They're no longer thinking about advancing. Now they're moving backward, thinking about how to shield themselves or how to protect themselves. They are in retreat. And that's one way you'll know whether you're in faith or whether you're in retreat. The word faith is the Greek word pistis. The word pistis describes a force like a bullet that has been shot out of a gun. Once faith is released, it moves forward. It never moves in retreat. And if you are moving in retreat, it is evidence that you're not moving in faith. Faith never moves backwards. Faith always advances And Paul says, God has not given you this spirit that's caused you to move into self-preservation and into retreat, but God has given you power. He's given you love. He's given you a sound mind. The word power is the Greek word dunamis. Many Christians know that word. They say, oh, it describes dynamic power, and that's all right. You can say that. That's a good translation, but it really misses the point. That word power, the Greek word dunamis, was the word used in the first century when Paul was writing this verse to describe a force of nature, like a hurricane, like a tornado, like an earthquake. It was the same word used to describe by the Romans to describe the full might of the advancing Roman army. So the first thing this tells us, if God has given us dunamis, if he's given us power, God's intention for me and for everyone in this auditorium who knows Jesus, God's intention is that you be a spiritual force of nature. You've got so much in you, like a hurricane, you can blow evil out of the way. Like a tornado, you can come through an area and change the entire climate. God's intention is that you be like a spiritual earthquake with the ability to shake things up. But secondly, he said, God has given you love. The word love is the Greek word agape. It is the most difficult word to translate in the entire New Testament. Translators just grapple with how to translate the word agape. Some people say, well, it's the love of God, and it is but agape is a love with no strings attached. It is a love that loves with no expectation or no expectation of return, and therefore agape can never be disappointed. Phileo is a kind of a friendship love. I'll scratch your back, but hey, I expect you to scratch my back as well. It is a love that has expectation, and phileo love can always be disappointed. But agape love is a love that just loves. It just loves. This is the love which we find in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. God just loved the world. Even the world had nothing to give back to him. God, of his own initiative, decided to love. When you move in agape love, you are in control of your love and you're not manipulated by your emotions. You're not even disappointed by another person's lack of response. Well, Timothy's wounded because people that he expected to be faithful were not faithful. They didn't give back to him what he expected, and he's devastated. It's actually exposed. He was moving in low-level love. But now Paul says, Timothy, there's a higher level, and this is what God has given to you. You can move up into high-level love, agape, which is what he needed, because now he needed to choose new leaders to replace those who had failed him, and he's terrified to do it because he's already been hurt once. And Paul says, God has given to you agape love. You can do this. It's a love that is never disappointed. And lastly, he says, God has given you a sound mind. The Greek word sophronismos, it's a very long word, but it's a compound of two words. The first word is sozo. Maybe you've heard that before. It means to heal, to save, to preserve, to deliver. The second word is the word phren. The word friend is the Greek word for the mind, the intelligence, or the brain. But when you compound sozo and friend, it forms the word sophronismos, which is the word that you find here, which describes a mind that has been set free from all impediments, a mind that has been set free of all hindrances, a mind that is saved, a mind that is whole, a mind that is delivered and thinks logically and reasonably, which is the opposite of, of what a spirit of fear produces. You've had a spirit of fear. When you have a spirit of fear, you worry about everything. You begin to imagine what's going to happen to you. You imagine what people are thinking about you when in fact, nobody's thinking about you. But because the spirit of fear is operating in you, you're imagining all of these things. And now Timothy, who knows the police, could knock at his door, is imagining what his death is going to be like, what is going to happen to him. And Paul says, God did not give you this spirit of fear. God has given you a mind that is set free. It is whole. It thinks reasonably. It thinks rationally. It thinks logically. Grab hold of it. I just feel led to say something. The New Testament often talks about us taking or receiving. The word "receive" in Greek is the word lambano. It's very important. There's two parts to the word lambano. The word lambano describes something that is given and that has to be received. There's a giving and there's a taking of everything. God gives everything, but if it's not received by faith, it will be of no benefit to you. And God gave to Timothy, he gave to you love, power, and a sound mind. God offers it, but you've got to take it by faith. There's a giving and there's a receiving that is involved. And now Paul says to Timothy, God did not give you this panic that you're operating in. This is a spiritual force that is not from God, but he's given you power. He's given you love. He's given you a sound mind. And then in verse 8, he adds, Be ye therefore... Be not ye therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. The word ashamed is a Greek word which describes a person so embarrassed, their face has become flushed red. They are embarrassed. They feel disgraced. And in Greek, it is a double negative. It is a prohibition. Stop being ashamed. Timothy was so taken with the spirit of fear, he was putting distance between himself and Jesus. He was even beginning to put distance between himself and Paul because Paul is in prison as an arson. If he is connected to Paul, he could be charged with arsony. And Paul says, stop it, stop it now. Stop being ashamed of Jesus and stop putting space between yourself and me. And then he adds, and be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And here's a very important message for people living in America today. America's been blessed that it's not been a country where people have experienced the afflictions of the gospel. But we may be sailing into new waters where people begin to feel the flack and the brunt of society because society is drifting. It is moving into the land of nonsense, embracing delusional ideas. The Apostle Paul said in 2nd. Thessalonians chapter two, verse 11, the end of the age, people will believe lies. People will become delusional. And my friends, we are living in delusionary times. And if you just remain the same, it's not you that's changing. It's the world around you that is changing. You're the same as you've always been. You're standing on the same truth you've always stood on, believing the same Bible you've always believed. But the world around you is becoming delusional. You may have to deal with a little flack from the world around you who says you are a bigot or you are narrow-minded because you're not embracing their nonsense. It's okay. okay. That's the afflictions of the gospel. But Paul says to Timothy, You be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to, according to the what? The power of God. The words according to are the same words according to we saw in verse one the Greek word kata, a preposition which carries the idea of domination, subjugation, being conquered. Or Paul says, if you take a stand for the gospel, if you refuse to budge from what you believe and the world around you gives you problems, the power of God will come upon you. You'll be dominated, subjugated, conquered by the power of God himself, which means when a believer refuses to budge, God says, I like that, and God joins himself to that believer so that you don't really feel the brunt of the world like you normally would because you're so sustained by the dominating power of God that comes upon you. Yesterday at dinner, Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie were sharing with us the testimonies of people from Afghanistan. Wow, what an amazing work. The people that are really experiencing persecution, but in the midst of the persecution, experiencing amazing power. Amazing power. History verifies that when believers suffer for their faith or take a stand that's contrary to the world about them, they experience amazing levels of power. And even in the first century, when Paul was writing this chapter, Nero was nearly driven mad because he was having believers dipped in tar, tied the stakes that were affixed to the ground in his backyard. He leaned out his balcony to watch them scream in agony as they burned. But the early Christian writers wrote <laughs> that instead of hear them scream in agony, Nero heard these Christians burning in tar singing what was called antiphonal songs unto God coming out of the flames. He heard them singing antiphonally and the only explanation for that is they were singing in tongues as their spirits left their bodies. They died, dominated in the power of God. That is amazing. My friends, God is not going to abandon us. But if you move into retreat, you may not experience the same power as if you stand in place. Now, this is part one. Tonight, we're going to do part two. It's going to be fabulous. If you can come, please come tonight. But my friends, I want to tell you, God has not given you a spirit of fear. And it doesn't matter what you're facing right now. Turn around and remember your past. What you're facing right now is not bigger than the last thing you went through or before that or before that or before that or before that. that. You just got a poor memory. But God's given you a special poker to stir those fame claims. I'm reminding you of all these things that by your remembering, 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 you've got to call it to remembrance. Remembrance. Don't depend on your emotions to help you. You've got to call it to remembrance. You might stir yourself back up again. God's going to be faithful to you. That's his record in your life. I want you to put your hands on your heart. I want to pray for you right now. Father, we thank you that your name is faithful and true. You have never failed anyone. And you're going to be faithful now. You're going to be faithful tomorrow. You've been faithful in the past. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting. Help us to speak to our souls as we're commanded to do in Psalm 103, verse 2, to forget not all your benefits, all the things you've done already, Lord, and to stir ourselves up. We thank you that we do not have a bogus faith. Our faith is real. It's unbendable. It is unbreakable. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do your work in us. And today, if you're here and you're not a child of God, that means if you've never repented of your sin, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, or maybe you have, but for some reason along the way, you've been disappointed and you've walked away or you fell into a wrong group of friends, you say, pray for me. I want to come to the Lord. I want to come back home. Would you just please lift your hands around this auditorium? just do it for me. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Holy Spirit, you see every person. And I ask you, Spirit of God, to do your work, to bring every precious soul into the kingdom and to bring home every soul that has wandered. If you've never repented of your sin, just say, Jesus, I call you the Lord of my life. Be the Lord of my life. And if you're the one that has wandered away to say, Lord, today I make a decision to turn around and to come back home, he'll receive you with open arms. And we thank you for this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to me today. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.